0: Without any further ado, I want to um, welcome Venerable Ajahn Karunamondo.
1: Thanks, Paige, and uh, nice to see a lot of familiar
2: faces and a few few new ones for me, anyway. It's been a a year since i was here last a little more than a year i think um and i haven't actually been in this new facility until this very morning and it's just beautiful and just uh what a nice space to be able to meet and uh share some dhamma practice together today so and we've got a beautiful day too uh i may not be able to speak louder but maybe the volume could be turned up um if somebody can find Paige, to uh, adjust that. I, I could probably speak up longer for about a minute, and then it would start to fade again. <laughs> so um, we'll just go ahead and keep going, and hopefully the volume will increase to the ability. Can everybody yell? Can anybody, is anybody else having trouble, or is it? Uh, okay, maybe just adjust it up a little bit. Oh Okay, if that's useful for anybody um I don't want to blast people out either so <laughs> um so uh today's day long um is on uh the power of <clears throat> of perception um and um throughout the day I'll be maybe just giving a few reflections, uh, some meditation periods, both sitting and then in the in the afternoon uh, doing some walking meditation. Uh, w- the, the morning period is a little bit truncated because as monastics in our tradition, we have to finish our uh, eating any food for the day by 12 noon. So that's why we have this kind of early break at 11 o'clock uh, for the meal offering. Um, of course, people who are here are quite welcome to to go past the 12 noon period um but for the monastics that's what we aim to be finished eating by then so the uh, morning is a bit shorter uh and also that's kind of why we starting earlier than the tradition traditional nine thirty or 10 o'clock time here because morning is a better time for me and i wanted to have more than an hour <laughs> so um So we'll be having these different periods uh, through the day with some breaks and also uh, several question-and-answer periods. So those are really rich times, I find, uh, and sometimes I find myself just blabbing on with a a structured talk but appreciating more the question-and-answer exchange. So just wanting to encourage people when we come to those question-and-answer periods to please just feel free to to ask a question or offer a comment. The one thing I, I would just like to encourage people to, I know people do often come and go from these daylongs uh, throughout the day, and if you are able, uh, and don't have some kind of very urgent obligation uh, later in the day, if you're able to, to, to really stick through to the end of the day, because one day isn't a huge amount of time to start getting uh, your your mind around these issues, and... Um, oftentimes it seems to me like when I've done these, the last couple of hours of the day are often the richest because uh, things are starting to gel. People's questions are starting to, to solidify in their minds um, and the exchange, and people have had a chance to settle and, and, and be more contemplative. So oftentimes the, uh, the, the discussions and, and meditations towards the end of the day are really, in my mind anyway, the most fruitful. Um, so I just wanted to really encourage people to... You know if it 's just a matter of feeling a little bit restless or wanting to get home and get ready for work tomorrow, things like that to just see if you can stretch that a little bit, um, otherwise you will notice people coming and going through the day so I think before we really uh, start opening up into the uh, into the topic of uh, perception, uh, before we do anything, we should have a, a period of of uh, sitting meditation, just to quiet the mind it 's so important this practice of calming uh, and settling the mind because if the mind is distracted or unsettled then it won't pick up and absorb the, the reflections uh, and the contemplations uh, so easily so that's the the reason that we um, meditate is to help still and calm the mind it's a beautiful and pleasant abiding in itself uh, but it also uh, primes the attention the awareness and the capacity to reflect So let's, without further ado, find a comfortable way to sit for 25 minutes or so. Is there anybody in here who has not done any kind of meditation at all? Completely a newbie?
1: Nope. Great. Okay. So briefly... um,
2: just to find a comfortable position where you can sustain uh, a relatively uh, alert and erect posture for uh, a a short period of time. The more you can hold the body still but without straining, the calmer the, the body and the mind will become.
3: So before you
2: start to focus on your object of meditation, uh, which for many many of us I think is probably the in and out breathing, uh, maybe for some it's the, the feeling of the body or uh, the what sometimes is taught in our tradition is the sound of silence. Uh, before you settle on that object, um, let's just do a few exercises that help settle the body and the mind and create a little bit more spaciousness, sometimes jumping right into the breathing, trying to pin it down, hold it, and uh, be immediately the focus of your attention. Sometimes that's a bit forced and strained, and I find it useful to to broaden, open, and settle the body and the mind uh, as a precursor to picking up the object. So just for a a couple of minutes, First thing, um, open your eyes slightly. Uh, The tendency is, and often recommended, is to keep the eyes closed to avoid visual distraction. But for right now, just open the eyes very gently and focus uh, on a spot maybe just in front of you or um, you can gaze into the distance at an object if you wish uh, for just a minute. Maybe not focus so much on a particular person. but allow the visual input to, to be registered in your consciousness.
3: And notice how
1: the tendency is to focus on an object
2: as the focal point. And try to broaden that to the full visual field. So there's all the more amorphous and fuzzy aspects of peripheral vision. Soften the gaze
1: and allow the full visual field to come into your awareness.
3: Allow that to create a little bit more of a sense of
2: uh, openness and ease in the visual input.
1: More of a, a soft blur of color and texture.
3: And then along
1: with the visual experience, there's also the knowing of that, the awareness
2: of it. See if you can shift your
1: attention to that pure, simple awareness of seeing.
3: Relax, soften that visual experience. Now gently close the eyes.
1: And allow the attention to move towards the, the hearing,
3: the area of sound. Notice how maybe the attention will move to a particular sound,
1: like the sound of my voice is probably pretty prominent. Other extraneous sounds that come and go, like the sound of the venting system, little traffic outside, rustling of
3: bodies. Notice how the mind picks up
1: each of these sounds in different combinations. Focusing on one, then maybe focusing on the other for a brief period of time.
3: And then similarly, relax
1: the focus so that there's a broader sense of just hearing
2: without focusing on one particular one.
1: Sounds come and go, but the broad focus remains.
3: Just hearing,
1: awareness of hearing,
3: broad, relaxed.
1: Notice what's happening in the mind, the intellect.
2: Maybe trains of thought that are easy to get absorbed into. Thoughts about what the day might bring. Or certain people that are popping up in memory. The immediate past,
1: the projected future. Notice these trains of thought.
3: And notice when they end.
1: If you look carefully, there's a, usually a gap between one train of thought and the next.
3: And allow your attention
1: to rest even if it's just for a split second, in that space
3: between the thoughts. Not trying to obliterate the
1: thinking, but to step back from it.
2: Broaden your attention. Relax.
1: Give it all some space. When one train of thought ends and another one begins, where did that first one go to? And there's always this spaciousness behind, underneath
3: the thinking process. A sense of alert, knowing. Coming back to awareness. The tactile sensations of the body.
1: Allow yourself to... Notice where you focus your attention most easily,
3: the most prominent sensation. If you can relax that attention
1: to include and broaden the experience of feeling the whole body. The legs, the Sit bones, abdomen, chest, back,
3: hands, arms,
1: shoulders, neck, head, muscles of the face,
3: Feel the whole body as a unit. So whether it's with
1: the sights or the sounds or the feeling in the body
2: or the thoughts... Emotions. we can open up and broaden our attention in
1: the whole area of sense experience we don't want to drift to get too
2: spaced out with it so as the time seems right Allow the object of breathing in and out to settle in to the experience. Let the breath find you. You don't have to go and hunt it down, pin it down, hold on to it. Just open, relax, and then notice the breathing in and out as it settles
3: into your awareness. Even with open, relaxed attention
1: in meditation, we need an object. Hopefully something stilling, calming, soothing.
3: In and out breathing, sound of silence. A place to return to.
1: We'll continue doing that for a bit of time until I ring the bell.
3: So as you
2: open your eyes and come back into a bit more sensory input, just to try and keep that center of open uh, awareness uh, in the fore. And if you wish, maybe um,
0: just in
2: place, uh, if you'd like to change positions, stand up and stretch for just a second before... Uh, For a few reflections. So uh, getting started with the uh, topic at hand on, on perception, um, just a bit of maybe description, uh, a little bit of de- defining what we're talking about here. The, uh, most of you are probably familiar with the, uh, the five khandhas, as the Buddha describes um, what we normally would call personal experience. Or self identity, um, uh, consisting of um, five aggregates. These khandas being like aggregates or groupings of of the experience of our world, and that's what a lot of our Buddhist practice is: is is looking at the level of experience rather than trying to define an absolute reality or um, description of some sort of um, unchanging uh, reality of uh, person self experience. It's um, uh, more on the level of, of experience and, and our experience groups um, around uh, these five khandas, these aggregates that are uh, form, like the body. Um, feeling tone, uh, the fact that in any moment of experience, uh, in contact with the world and w- in the internal world as well, that there's a, a feeling tone of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's part of our mental experience. Uh, the third uh, aggregate is the one that uh, I thought maybe we'd focus on a little bit today, of sanya, usually translated as perception. Uh, the fourth being uh, volitional formations, sankhara, uh, thoughts, emotions, uh, volitionally produced uh, mental experiences, um, qualities of mind. And then the fifth uh, aggregate um, of our uh, personal experience of of consciousness, um, vinyana. Uh, uh, so all of these, uh, the first one being sort of in the in the physical category, this flesh and blood body, or with all of its elements and constituents, um, being the group of 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 body, and then those other for uh, what we would call mind. So we've got body and mind, and in some combination we usually take these to uh, be our identity or our personality or our personal experience. Um, And this third one, sanya, is one that I think is really worth spending a day uh, uh, exploring a bit more because um, it is something that um, is both incredibly useful mental quality in terms of helping to organize our experience uh, and being able to get through a day. Uh, and then it's also something that can really get us into trouble because of how we um, attach to or hold on to uh, perceptions um, in a kind of a fixed way that uh, often leads to maybe more misperception than, than uh, accurate perception. So just to step back a little bit, just to kind of... Uh, Describe the process um, of perception. Uh, basically, you know, w- the world around us we experience through our sense bases. Right, our sights, the sounds, um, all the uh, sensations of the body, taste, smell, and we include the aspects of the intellect uh, in this sensory experience. So, so, these are the six sense bases and there 's just this constant barrage of of input all the time, um, you know just opening your eyes the, uh, the amount of, of stimulation coming in in terms of light um, color texture uh, form um, in its raw, in its raw form um, is there 's a huge amount of detail I mean just looking around this room, you know look at the amount of detail coming in through. The experience of seeing, um, or hearing—we uh, were doing that during the meditation—the different sounds that uh, are constantly in flow uh, through our, our through our awareness, uh, the sensations of the body, um, and then, you know, maybe most significantly, all the activities of the mind, the different thoughts that pass through, that arise, uh, the emotions. Um, all of these uh, um, forms of input into our our awareness are are very uh, uh, detailed and and if we didn't have any way of organizing it uh, or processing it, we'd just be totally overwhelmed. We wouldn't be you know be constantly you, know, you know how it feels like to be overstimulated just in our current daily life uh, with the bombardment of of input and information. If we didn't have this ability. To perceive to categorize things um we'd just be kind of probably fried in a few seconds (laughs) mentally anyway so this process of perception is is a very useful thing that we start learning right from the time we're born uh and it's uh based on several um uh, aspects of mind um it starts uh the process of perceiving another word that I think uh, that's even better than perception to describe it is is recognition. I think hold on to that one for a second. Recognition. We have a cognitive experience, and we recognize it. So recognition is recognizing, meaning repetitive experience of some kind um, that we're aware of that we had before and we have probably labeled it in some way or identified it in some way. Um, uh, it's a process that starts as very young children. Um, so we look outside, say, uh, and see this visual form. Um, it has uh, uh, a form of solid, uh, I'm looking at a quote-unquote tree, um, you know, it has a, a, a long trunk. It has branches. It has leaves. It has color. It has texture. So all this input is coming in in raw data form. But then we've seen it before, and someone has told us that's a tree. So there's all of a sudden a label. We have a word for it: tree. And so when we look at we look at it, we tend to simplify everything. We don't really usually see the color, the texture all the little branches, all the tiny individual little leaves, the way the light plays off of it, where the shadows are, uh, and the trunk and the different textures of all of that, we pretty much just go through and say, oh, tree. So that um, it's a very useful kind of a thing, because if everywhere we looked, all, this, you know, all we were seeing were all the incredible minutiae detail, um, we wouldn't be able to really operate in a functional way So there's a very useful um, process going on to to, to stabilize a very complex and changing world of experience. The problem is is that we do that with everything, uh, and we need to to some extent, but then we start to live in a whole world of relating to a symbol of something rather than the reality uh, that can get us through um uh functional aspects of daily life so it's important in that way but then we start to um apply certain values or uh uh, fixed views on what a certain um perception means and we create a whole world of reaction to and complication of around some of those uh symbols um so uh, just to 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 see how this process is layered upon itself over and over and over again, um, the symbols themselves uh, start to have their own life, and we ap- attach certain other symbols and values to that, and, uh, like an example with the tree again um, you know maybe you 're out in a forest and you 're walking in th- the redwoods, um, some beautiful old you know um, Redwoods that are uh, many years old. Um, now, if you happen to be a timber harvester <laughs> and you see something like that, you start to see this tree in terms of its value. You might see it as oh, okay, well, that's a really good one. That would provide me so many board feet of, you know, uh, of timber, uh, it can be used for floors, for furniture, for construction. Uh, and that's possibly the uh, value that you impute on that, on that symbol. <clears throat> if you happen to be somebody who is concerned about the environment uh, and the destruction of forests uh, in, a, in an unskillful way, um, then you see the tree maybe as something uh, to protect, uh, something to hold on to um, as a, a way of preserving an important part of natural experience. Um, so we add layers uh, of more symbology on all of the symbols that we see based on our particular value system, um, skillful, unskillful, that's, you know, that's uh, going to vary from person to person. Um, and then if we find that we're at odds with each other's values around a particular symbol, say a tree, then we layer on a whole nother layer of emotional significance to it. Um, and um, uh, we start to uh, uh, form uh, lots of uh, very strong views and opinions one way or another, depending on which side of the fence we fall on. <clears throat> so we can lose our perspective of uh, seeing and experiencing the world just as in its raw form uh, through this whole process of layering on perceptions one after another on top of each other. Doing the same thing uh, in some ways with uh, people themselves. Um, moving into the realm of, of personal interaction, human beings, society. Um, and then just in- individual personal interaction, how how we start to layer on our perceptions based on past experience uh, and start pigeonholing or typecasting people uh, based on on past perception just on an individual level that's easiest to see um you know, say there's um you know you have different people in your lives that mean different things uh, maybe there's uh, somebody who's an acquaintance of yours or a, a co-worker um who has, uh, in an unskillful moment, gotten angry with you for some reason, maybe you did something that was offensive or didn't, they didn't understand, and they uh, yelled at you, blamed you, accused you of something. Um, and uh, you have your reaction, and you know whatever that is, um, skillful or not, you have your reaction. But then all of a sudden, the perception of that particular person becomes very shaded and very colored in a particular way um, so that um, they're not just John or Sarah or whoever it is uh, working next to me. They're that, that mean person who's going to hurt me. You know, We ascribe a certain value um, to them. Um, and uh, as kind of a self-protective measure, um, we kind of almost are, are lying in wait to protect ourselves from that happening again. Uh, and almost um, uh, imperceptibly sometimes, uh, unconsciously, we, if we hold them in that view um, with that kind of fixed perception, then that's what we pick up and that's what we notice uh, in regards to them. So that when we see them, our our whole sense of of, uh, self-protective alertness starts to um, come into play. And and we often just will actually seek out almost and pay attention just to those those qualities that reinforce your perception of that person being mean, angry, somebody who's going to hurt me. So you're on the defensive. You're kind of lying in wait almost, very subconsciously, waiting to see when that's going to happen so that you can... Um, formulate a self-protective reaction. Um, Every time you do that and you focus on something um, along those lines, then uh, if that um, replays out again in, in a similar way, it just becomes more fixed. The more you focus on that particular aspect of a person or an experience, hold on to it and expect it and search it out, then it becomes a repetitive, ingrained kind of a response It just solidifies more and more and becomes more fixed. And how often we tune out all of the other aspects, all the other uh, qualities. We just, you know, how many times do we see that other person, say, in our life, in our experience, in our work, uh, in our home life, whatever, um, and they're not exhibiting those mean, awful qualities of being hurtful. um, If our fixed perception is, is... of that aspect of their nature, then we may not even see the vast majority of the time that they aren't doing that, or maybe even the times when they're exhibiting some really good, skillful qualities, Uh, because we had a very impactful experience and we're limiting our uh, uh, experience of them uh, in that way. So pigeonholing typecasting based on on these past... um, Uh, experiences then we do this with ourselves inside too don't we um uh we feel a certain emotion arising in ourselves you know maybe anger or or maybe um you know desire of some sort um and we we feel that it's unpleasant feeling the the heat rising rising the tightening of the stomach the clenching of this uh, the chest, uh, whatever it is, and respond to some um, difficult situation like I was mentioning um, and then if we 're reflecting on it, you know we might recognize label anger, irritation strongly if it 's a very strong one we, we might label it you know hatred why am I so you know, why am I so uh, angry why, why do I have this quality of of, uh, of strong irritation. Um, and then we personalize it uh, as well. So we not only feel it and then label it, then we personalize it and say, this is my anger. You know, Why am I like this? How did I get to be this way? Um, all of these are layers of the perceptual process that um, really just build and complicate and, and fold over on each other. Over and over again. So, throughout the day, you get some opportunities to maybe contemplate this uh, and talk about it a bit, um, uh, and then maybe talk about um, some uh, uh, ways of um, uh, seeing the process and unfolding when we 're kind of under the cloud of ignorance and not being aware of it, ways of helping to bring it more into consciousness to actually see this process, how we do it, how do we create perceptions, um, how do they get established in our in our awareness as such. Um, Maybe uh, a little bit later on, too, then exploring some ways that we can actively change that, we can alter our perceptual process. The Buddha has given us a lot of really good instructions about how to do that uh, to create um, a bit more clarity and a lot less suffering uh, around this whole perceptual experience. Um, And um, then maybe how to uh, unpack it all uh, in... Uh, in a way that allows us to see how not only can we let go of some of the uh, ways we create uh, unskillful perceptions, but how we can create skillful ones and then see the whole process uh, as it unfolds uh, and maybe pull back from the whole thing to a greater sense of, of peace that's apart from attaching to it in either its positive or its negative formation. But the first thing to do is to sort of start to get a little bit of a feel of, of actually how it happens, um, how we construct these um, uh, programs, in a sense, um, before we can uh, start to deconstruct how we do that. We have to kind of get to know how it all happens, I think. Really, the best way to do that is to um, quiet our minds again uh, so that we're not lost in the uh, the perceptions of of conceptualization um, uh, and to do some more meditation uh, to get quiet uh, and then to, um, from a quiet state of mind, actually consciously in, bring up uh, some situation that um, might induce a certain kind of a perception uh, to see exactly how it arises, what happens to it, uh, and where it goes. So... Um, Let's do a little bit more meditation, and I'll help us get started with that. Uh, and after we do that for a little while, um, we'll have a period of time for some questions, discussion. So if thoughts, questions, considerations are arising, uh, keep those in mind, uh, and we'll have some time in, after this meditation. I probably should have mentioned that we don't only kind of form these fixed perceptions in in terms of difficult situations or difficult interactions, but we also can be incredibly selective about um, what we see in someone or some other experience that's incredibly sensually appealing, sensually attractive, how we can ignore all the other things and see through our rose-colored glasses what we want to see. Uh, And... uh, that's just as... um, It's much more pleasant and much more fun to do. (laughs) We get kind of an immediate gratification from that. But it's also um, forming a fixed perception such that we tune out all the other data uh, that we can experience in the realm of personal interaction or just the realm of sensual experience. So... Let's sit quietly for just a minute and regather the sense of attention around a calming presence of body. Relaxing, taking a deep
3: breath. Feeling the body as a whole once again, breathing in and out gently. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Allow the mind and the body
1: to relax, but stay alert, energized,
3: The mind settles.
2: Bring into your uh, mental focus or bring up the image a remembered perception of somebody who uh, you uh, have had an experience with if, if possible somewhat recently that was difficult or unpleasant. You can bring up the image of that Person, possibly a, a memory of a situation, but sometimes just
1: the actual image of that particular person.
3: And notice what happens.
1: There's an image, a memory,
2: maybe some replay of words, and most likely uh, a certain reaction in the body, the emotional
1: aspect of mind. Notice that. What does it feel like? Where do you feel that in your
3: body? Clenching somewhere,
1: tightness of the stomach, chest, heat. And notice what the mind wants to do with that. Wants to get away from it.
3: Now gently allow the image, the object,
2: to settle into the background. Don't consciously reinforce that perception of that being and just stick with the very
1: clear experience in the body. Drop the object, the mental
2: activity around it, the views, the statements the internal verbiage reaction drop that consciously and really strongly clearly attend to the feeling in the body
1: if it's particularly intense bring the breathing
3: right to it Let's stay with it. If it's a minor perception,
1: minor interaction, it might dissipate fairly quickly.
2: It's pretty potent. You
3: may feel it persist for a while. But just stay with the actual physical
1: feeling. Breathing in and out with it if
3: needed. and watch that physical feeling, that reaction as it changes. our habitual ways of
1: dealing with these kinds of experiences is to try and
2: run away from that unpleasant feeling as quickly as possible through distraction, through reaction, trying to dissipate or avoid that energy. Doing that just reinforces
3: our perception of that that being. Separating the feeling
1: from the actual perceptual object helps to
2: loosen,
3: loosen that grip that it has on us. So just sit quietly for a minute or two longer with this experience. Now allow yourself to
1: perceive, remember someone else
2: who may bring up a real positive uh, image, someone that you've had a recent experience with that's been pleasant, some kind words,
1: possibly some attraction. whatever the pleasant experience with that
3: person is, bring that person to mind. Notice
1: that we're attending to certain features or qualities
2: or images of that particular person that bring up that sense of of, of
3: pleasantness maybe something
1: about their appearance that we've focused on that brings that sense of pleasantness up
2: or the actual spoken words, a gesture. Our attention moves to that, focuses on it, experiences the feeling from it.
3: Natural tendency is to want to hold on to that, get more of it,
2: experience it,
3: be with it. So let go of that image of the person, that
2: memory, and all of the features that we're absorbing into. Let go of that. Go back to the body
1: experience. What does it feel like in the body? Ease, relaxation,
2: excitement, interest. Movement towards maybe wanting to hold on to.
3: Feel that in the body. And just stay with that
1: feeling in the body as it changes. If you don't reinforce it, it will pass.
3: and then just allow yourself to reflect on the fact that this is a
2: process that we go through countless times in a day something stimulates our imagination or our memory of a person or an experience and based on how we've categorized it how we've classified it how we've labeled it to condense it into a a rememberable experience. That's how we will experience it when it comes back up, bubbling up through a memory for some reason. Something in the environment causes this memory to emerge. We react to it. We run away from it. We try and get it depending on whether it's painful or pleasant. All the time reinforcing that
1: perception of who that person is, what that experience was like.
3: We do the same things with ourselves.
2: Our internal analysis of all the pleasant and unpleasant ways we act, react in the world. We pigeonhole ourselves too and identify with it. I am angry. I am fearful. I'm an anxious type, I have these problems, I have these tendencies.
1: We relate to our conceptualization of it rather than the experience itself.
3: And if it's deep enough, we start
1: to live it out, keep on playing it out, because we think that's
2: who we are. Every time we see something like that arise in our mind, ah, there it is, another example. There I go again.
3: So just sticking with the
1: feeling that all of this arises in oneself.
2: Dropping the storyline for just a minute or two. Not buying into the papancha around it, the mental proliferation around it all.
1: Explore the feeling in the body. Breathe with it. whether they're pleasant feelings or unpleasant
2: feelings or confused feelings. Just let them dissipate,
1: arise and persist and pass on their own accord.
2: Again, take a moment to stretch if you wish, change position.
1: Okay, let's take an opportunity to
2: have some time for uh, people to offer any comments or reflections or experiences or have questions, have a half an hour or so for a little bit more dialogue. Yeah. And, and I just ask people to speak up so everybody can hear. Oh, we've got a microphone. Got a microphone? Great.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to know if there is a way that... Uh, what do you use um, to interrupt the pattern of that mental habit or that behavioral pattern that you know once i i get the perception going and i know that's how it's going to go and i it's hard to to stop it and change it unless i'm Sitting and breathing, and like in and during the day at work, or is is there something you, or is just practice, right?
2: Some of it is just practice. It's just you kind of answered your own question a little bit when you said uh, you know it's uh, hard to do without stopping, seeing, and breathing. So, if it does stop when you See it and breathe with it. Then that's what you should do. <laughs> if you can find that that space to do that, it's hard when you're you know in the in the flow of intense daily activity, you know, and you see something starting to arise, and yet there's you know you're in a maybe a work setting or a group setting or a family setting, and you know the, uh, there's not often a lot of uh, allowance or encouragement for just stopping and and and, and watching, but. Um, that is, you know, that is the best thing to do at that point, particularly if you see that you might start to act on it, because acting on it is what starts to reinforce the whole process. So, um, if you find that you're about to respond in an unskillful way, then really, you know, sometimes... It takes a conscious putting of brakes, you know, uh, on the situation. You know, a skillful, <laughs> button the lip kind of a thing, not in a repressive sort of way, but in a, I know this wouldn't be useful" kind of a of a way. It's hard to do because what that does is it kind of bottles up the reaction a little bit inside, so that the mental activity you know, will build, and that's what is really uncomfortable. You know, you're wanting to try and get some escape from that. How do I stop that process? And the habitual tendency is to act on it in some way that will give you some temporary relief. Um, We all do that. Um, But um, if we want to actually learn how to stop that process... We have to see how it's arising, experience it in some way first. We, you have to have sort of an emotional motivation uh, to want to, to, to you know, stop doing it. And you know, to some extent, you actually have to feel the discomfort. Uh, you have to be willing to, to feel the discomfort of it because that what, that's what gives you the uh, motivation to not do it. Uh, if you try and move your mind away from it or distract it or you know, something like that, you might get some temporary relief. Uh, but uh, it's just, you know, the, the pattern is embedded uh, and won't be, uh, won't be recognized. Um, so um, we do what we need to do to restrain ourselves from doing something unskillful that's going to cause more harm and more regret. More difficulty. Uh, And if we need to, we remove ourselves from a situation. If you need some space, if you have the opportunity, if you can get up and walk or leave or go out and look outside for a minute or two or, you know, uh, just kind of skillfully withdraw from the situation so that you get some space, that's often a very useful thing to do. And then, when it's possible, just with that sense of like uh, separation from the interaction from the experience, go back to the body, back to the body over and over again. Um, and really, I mean, you know, it kind of sometimes runs counter to some of the current ways that, say, Western or modern psychology would say, oh, well, we really need to, you know, analyze this think about it deal with it uh, understand it get to the root you know the psychological root all that kind of stuff might help some to some extent but I, my tendency is to think that there's oftentimes there's no end to that um and it uh, never gets out never gets to the point of pulling out the thorn itself you know you analyze it to death and still are suffering but um experiencing the actual physical uh, feeling, dropping the storyline. That's why I went through that exercise. It's like the storyline that we keep on bringing up over and over again. If it's not done extremely skillfully or with some lack of clarity, it tends to just reinforce the process. Um, So dropping the storyline, feeling the effect, provides a a motivation for us to naturally incline to, to... Letting it pass, letting the reaction pass, letting the emotional aspect die down, the sensitivity, then we can see it more clearly and see how these patterns you know when we cling to them, when we hold to them, really affect us sometime we might be able to address it if it 's a repetitive interaction uh, with somebody, you know at some point we might be able to address that in a skillful way. Uh, But um, we have to be very clear uh, and uh, not uh, in a state of emotional reaction when we do that. Emotions are are kind of complex entities, (laughs) in my mind anyway, as I understand them. Um, Emotions are, you know, labeled as such, but if you kind of break them down, they um, kind of can be seen or experienced as a combination of uh, thoughts, memories, um, uh, our actual thinking process, words that we attach to a certain experience, a combination of that, of um, images, of bodily experience, you know, the emotional component uh, in the body experienced as, you know, heat or tightness or uh, shakiness or palpitations or you know, tension, whatever it is, uh, and a kind of a, an energetic experience. Uh, and the emo- emotional complex um, is often one that is uh, self-reinforcing. We use the cognitive process, the thinking process, the use of words and descriptions, uh, and um, replaying of experience in our minds, visual images, in combination with the actual experience in the body, the feeling tone. So these are the you know, emotions are, are pretty complex mental experiences. Mental slash bodily experiences. And when there's intense emotion like that, um, uh, that kind of becomes uh, embedded in the perception, in the perceptual experience itself, uh, so that when something comes along to stimulate, a memory uh, or of a uh, causes us to categorize in a certain way, and you know again it 's hard to talk about without using examples, but say with a person, um, even if you 're not in the presence of that person and their memory is triggered from some association or who knows how it comes into your into your mind, um, but that perception um, that image of that person, who they are, what they represent um, will Often come in conjunction with that emotional memory as well, um, so that the almost automatically the feeling in the body, the the tension, the uh, the emotion, uh, whether it's uh, you know anger or lust or uh, anxiety or whatever it is that thing that we call an emotion, is. Um, is part of that memory that is arising in the perceptual process, so that 's why it 's really good to try and tease that apart um, in the experience itself all of All of our insight into how this happens uh, comes by really moment you know exploring it in the moment that we 're feeling it this is why we do mindfulness practice to bring it to mind, uh, to bring a sense of present moment awareness into our experience so that we can see it clearly, Um, not just as a a manufactured cognition, memory, analysis kind of a thing, but in actual present moment experience. Because particularly if it's emotionally charged, emotionally tinged, where we're going to know that, uh, where we're going to see it clearly, rather than just as a, symbolic opinion or an analysis in the head um, is is in that moment of, of bodily experience my, it, this is my my take on it anyway my experience um, so the way that you can tease the emotional aspect of it uh, and see it more clearly in relation to that perception is by just experience just as we've been talking about experiencing uh, the uh, emotion in the body, trying to get out of the uh, conceptual realm as much as we can. Does that answer what you were getting at, or? Right, and how quickly that can change, depending on what the mood is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really skillful, because that, what that's getting to is the fact that these underlying tendencies of mind that we can carry with us. You know the, the tendency towards certain emotional states like anger or desire uh, or elation or whatever it is. In some ways, these are the the you know a, a, these are a, a, the best word is underlying tendencies um, uh, that uh, were um, subject to experiencing and and they're they are they kind of exist at a layer that's below the level of of the actual experience uh, in the world itself, and as they bubble up for whatever reasons they bubble up, they will seek an object to justify their existence you know um, so that like say there's an underlying tendency towards anxiety or fear um, somehow it's it's kind of lying there in a, in a as a dormant, habitual mental state, and something in the environment, whether consciously or unconsciously, comes to to trigger it in a sense or bring it into a, a slightly more heightened state of of activity, then immediately uh, you, there's that 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 feeling in the body that arises associated, say, with the anxiety or the anger or the whatever, and that that state that underlying tendency wants to find an object to uh, absorb into in a sense to justify its existence and you can see that sometimes you know uh, you know there's even probably i think there's psychological terms like free-floating anxiety you know without a, a discernible object but you can just see it in yourself you know sort of like oh something's arising and it's been stimulated from something you're not quite sure what but why is this here why you know it's like immediately looking for oh it must be that and then boom you're born into a whole experience uh of of uh of that and then of course the more we don't see it clearly the more we compound it and the more it becomes embedded as an underlying tendency so it's true our emotional uh baseline or these emotional baselines that we have underlying things will cause us to see uh, certain people have certain experiences and see them in one light one time and in a completely different light another time and how quickly that changes based on what's bubbling up as as an underlying tendency
3: yeah yeah
0: recently I've been working with my perceptions I experienced um, something in the realm of heartache and so it was very strong and the thoughts that I was telling myself were very repetitive and involved a lot of hurt And, um, and I'm a somatic therapist so I would sit with them and they would dissolve, and then they would bubble up again, and they would dissolve, and they would come up again. And, you know, there are different, there's that practice, or there's the practice sometimes of going, as you were just saying, underneath, and you can find older currents that then bubble up. But then I had a friend actually challenge my my perception is that actually true, you know? And um, in some cases it was yes, and in some it was no, but she, um, I felt like she scrambled my perceptions like you scramble eggs, and I couldn't <laughs> put them back in in the same place. And I'd never had that experience before, and it feels like it's, um, it's unhooked me, Um just in a way I didn't know could happen. Um, Not that there's nothing there, but I'm not holding tight to that perception. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know if you have a comment on that because I deeply believe in the somatic piece, but it just kept, you know, it would bubble up, it would dissipate, Mm -hmm. and then it would appear Mm -hmm. again. So that for me, there was some use in somebody guiding me to really pull apart the perception, you know.
2: Yeah, that's great, um, actually. I mean, kind of the first um, steps that I've been talking about today are are sort of getting to see how the repetitive reinforcement of of certain perceptions, you know, is a self-sustaining kind of a thing. And... Mm -hmm. If the perceptions of a difficult you know if a memory keeps coming up repetitively, um, you can uh, drop that actual cognitive process uh, and experience it just as you were talking about in the, in the body, the somatic experience um, but if if the underlying tendency um, that's holding on to that perception remains and reinforcing it, then you're going to just keep mm-hmm. rehashing and regurgitating the same thing over and over again, I think. You know, it sounds like that's what you're kind of describing. Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit later on in the, in the day, that's what I was going to start addressing, is how we can, through shifting of our attention, conscious shifting of our attention um, to a different perceptual reality, um, can, in a sense, reprogram it um, so that we don't keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Um, that, uh, uh, but what it takes is a certain recognition of how we do it in the first place, at least in my experience. We have to kind of know the, the routine and the ruts that we keep doing um, and then experiment with how we can uh, uh, create a different perceptual reality mm-hmm. that results in something uh, that's you know maybe a bit more stable and more pleasant, and also really learn how it is to develop that skill. How we, you know, we can't necessarily control what comes in as a result from past action, past interactions, karma in the Buddhist mm-hmm. tradition, um, but uh, how we perceive it. Um, what we attend to in any particular experience. There's many, many different aspects of experience on which we can focus our attention, and we, are, we selectively do that out of habit sometimes in a way that's, that's counterproductive to happiness. Mm-hmm. And we can selectively get tired of doing that through recognition and maybe just over time slowly start to focus on aspects of an experience that we know will result in in, in a more contented, peaceful, non contentious, non-proliferative.
0: Yeah, way. I think that was where where the shift finally happened yeah. for me as I got to see more of the field and choose what I was going to really be valuing Absolutely. and focusing on. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it, you know, and it goes sometimes again it goes counter to some of the you know psychological training that we we do as westerners but you know when we talk about having to you know uh experience things understand them get to their root get to you know really fully experience it by bringing it up in our memory and our speech and our conversations to to deal with it sometimes it's better just to say no Mm -hmm. you know uh it's like I'm, this isn't going anywhere. Um, my attention on it in trying mm-hmm. to understand it is just, you know, living in that world. And sometimes a conscious setting it aside, not as, you know, an unco- not unconscious repression, but conscious suppression by just saying, that's enough, mm-hmm. you know, let me look over here, let me shift. Uh, see it in a different way, uh, sometimes that's what's needed, in my opinion.
0: And I'm realizing that like this whole topic of perception, since I've been steeped in it recently, it's so dimensional. There are so many ways to be working with oneself and working with these ideas. And I feel like I'm learning how to drive a car. That's me. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it's... It's like for, just from the the Buddhist psychological category. Some some people might find this just a bit too intellectual, but some people enjoy you know kind of seeing the, the Buddhist psychology behind it. It's it's an interplay of of sanya and sankara. I don't know if you're familiar with those terms. Sanya
3: mm-hmm.
2: is the perception. Sankara are the volitional. Mental formation. So, one is like the sunya is sort of the habitual results that we experience. The the, the uh, framework um, that is a result of past in mental action. Um, so the, the habits, the memories, the categories. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the perceptual um, uh, patterns in a sense, these are, uh, Ajahn Chito uses the word patterns, patterns of, of mind, patterns of reaction, patterns of consciousness. These are ones that are kind of established.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sankara is more of that con- uh, conscious or unconscious volitional programming that we can, um, that we have a little bit more um, influence over. Choice. Yeah, choice, in a sense. Um, so that is, we, we can actually bring up and create um, these uh, sankara or programs that will then alter the perceptual process so that the next time a perception comes up it might have a slightly different flavor if we've applied a skillful, intentional direction in the mind. So there is that quality of choice, volition, will to... Create more skillful perceptual Mm -hmm. processes. Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of heady stuff, but but find it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Hi. What if your perception of someone else, um, you do by experience the perception, the repeated action of the person gives you. Perception beginning, and then you find out that your perception was correct, so what is this skillful actor <laughs> um,
2: Correctness or not correctness is kind of not necessarily the focus that we're we're looking for, you know. Um, what we're looking for is, is our reaction to the particular situation and whether it causes us suffering or not. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, you might feel or, or experience or judge that someone's particular uh, way of presenting themselves um, is a correct perception. You know, maybe they have a repetitive issue with anger that they act out on and it's continually coming out at you, you know. Um, And uh, in your mind, that's an accurate perception. Um, How you pick it up and hold it is going to be the determining factor of whether it causes you grief or not. So if you have that perception of somebody else and you think that for your well-being... They're going to have to change, then you might end up suffering a lot more than you need to um, if you were to um, recognize that pattern in that person, the reaction that you feel, and realize that, um, you know, and I'm just, I don't know what the situation is, but perhaps there's nothing that you can really skillfully do except monitor your own reaction and not take it personally. I mean, if you really strongly feel that it's their issue, then no need to take it on. You might feel the unpleasantness of the interaction, but it's going to be very fleeting if you don't pick it up and personalize it and feel that something has to be done about it. Um, If it's some situation where you feel like you have to be in contact with that person like a family member or a spouse or a, you know, or a boss in a job then at some point you might want to try and develop a skillful means to bring that habit to their attention but if you're doing it from a place of reactivity uh, or emotional uh, anger or, or you know uh, righteous indignation um, then it's probably not going to be so effective uh, but if you've depersonalized it uh, and uh, not picking it up in a sense and, and going with it and making a problem for yourself, then there might be, depending on your relationship, a space to, to to bring that up. Out of compassion for that person who's, you know, probably getting themselves into a lot of difficult situations more so than with you... Um, but not as a way of trying to fix it so that your life is going to be better. Oh, yeah. Those are the biggest buttons. (laughs) Somebody was saying that, you know, there are people who push your buttons, but family members, you feel like, are the ones that put the buttons there. (laughs) So it's 11 o'clock, time for a break, uh, our meal break.